0: To Inside the Draft, a weekly preview of the upcoming NFL Draft with insiders from around the country. Hey, welcome again. Inside the Draft is back, our weekly preview of the upcoming NFL Draft. And we are officially two weeks away, two weeks away from round number one, April 27th, Thursday night, the first round of the 2023 NFL Draft. And the Colts still currently sit with the fourth overall pick. Round number one, pro days are in the books, private workouts have happened, now you're hearing about players taking top 30 visits with teams just days before the top pick was announced. I'm Matt Taylor, good to be with you. We're inside the Indiana Union Construction Industry Radio Studio, joined by Casey Vallier in the booth with us, and joining us today on the Horn, talking up draft, Ryan Roberts is our guest. You can see his work on Sports Illustrated and RiseAndDraft.com. Ryan, thanks for the time today, sir. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, guys. I'm doing well. Thank you all for having me so much. How's everything going on your end?
0: Uh, We are just watching the clock, (laughs) you know, just waiting (laughs) for this draft to get here like everybody else with all this intrigue and all the speculation and all the different scenarios that could play out for the Colts. Getting started with you, you know, reading your stuff and and getting uh, indoctrinated on your coverage, you think... Despite CJ Stroud's great offseason, his great combine, his great pro day, etc., you still think Bryce Young is going to be the first quarterback drafted by the Panthers. Why do you still feel that way?
1: Yeah, I mean it's a really interesting conversation piece cuz I mean I've been on board that, you know, no matter who the Carolina Panthers take at number 1, I think they'll be in a good spot cuz I think both CJ Stroud and Bryce Young both have really nice floors to work with. Right. I just think that for me, when you're comparing Bryce and CJ, I look at them both and I say, you know, they can do everything inside structure that you need them to do, you know, work through the regressions, get through it quickly, stay in the pocket, maintain a good base, like all those, you know, all the baseline traits that you want from a quarterback, which is fantastic. But I think that the real separator for me between Bryce and CJ is that I think Bryce just does a lot more outside of structure, right? When things break down, when the pocket gets extended or the pocket completely breaks down, I think that he, it, there's just a little bit of a difference separator in that attributes. Right. So I think that for the Carolina Panthers, a team that is especially early on, you know, you're not going to have the best wide receiver unit of all time. Unfortunately, you had to trade DJ Moore in the Chicago bears trade to get up to number one. So I think with a group of pass catchers and just skill position players, that isn't going to be the best early on. I think having a guy like Bryce Young that can kind of make a little bit more out of less is really the route to go. So I know from the instant that trade happened, people were talking about you know it's CJ Stroud and everybody kind of just seems really settled on it early. And I just kind of pushed back immediately. I'm just like, I'm not sure if that's like a foregone conclusion yet. So I still think it's going to be Bryce, but you know either way, I think that you're not going to. I think I think you have a really good baseline with both players. But I just think that that outer structure ability is really going to be the separator. So I I just really didn't buy the CJ stuff. And it looks like, you know, depending on what, (laughs) on which one of the uh, draft books, I mean, uh, of the uh, betting books that you you frequent, it looks like that there's starting to be a little movement in the way of, Bryce Young. So I ultimately do think it's going to be Bryce of one just because I think the outer yeah. structure stuff is kind of the separator for me.
0: You know, Ryan, I mean, the, the longer the, the pre-draft process has gone on, obviously the more familiar we've become with these top quarterbacks considering where the Colts are drafting, sitting there at number four. And, and the more that I watch Young and, and get familiar with him, the more surprised I am of just how rare his size showed up on tape. I mean, he's five. 5'11", kind of pushing six foot. He's 200 pounds. But he rarely yep. had trouble seeing the field and, and throwing the football over the middle with accuracy. I mean, he he overcame all of that. And plus yep. two with the size, he only missed one game in two seasons with Alabama. Do you see the same things, or are you still worried about his size translating to the NFL?
1: I'm, I'm not at all worried about the height in, in any sense. Because for me, and, and you just quantified it perfectly in my opinion, it's only an issue on film if it's actually there, right? And I feel like we're just we're hyper focusing on the five, ten, and an ace and just saying like, oh, that's you know really short. He's gonna have trouble seeing passing windows, getting the football off, and, you know, in a reasonable amount amount of time in a collapsing pocket. And you watch the Alabama tape, you're just like, but man, he's got really good pocket movement skills. He's got really good maneuverability. He understands what's happening around him, and he only had one pass deflected at the line of scrimmage this past year so i mean i really don't care about the heights because as long as you find the windows that's what really those passing lanes that's what i really care about i think that's what bryce does extremely well the only size concern i have and it's a reasonable one and anybody that has this kind of reaction i completely get it is that he's he weighed in at 204 pounds of the combine but truthfully we know he was playing more in the high 180s low 190s range right so like he's a little bit of a smaller quarterback. And when you go on to the next level where guys are getting bigger, faster, stronger, durability is a conversation piece, especially for a guy that has probably played at sub 200, you know, during his college career. So the weight is a little bit of a concern for me, but the height isn't at all. Like i watch watched the height and I'm just like, he does not get balls bad at the line of scrimmage. He finds passing windows. He throws very well over the, over the, um the short, you know, the short intermediate middle of the field. He does all those things well. So the height doesn't matter to me at all is the, wait a little bit of a question mark sure but you know that's going to be ultimately about what do you put around and to be able to protect them a little bit
2: now here in indy we're we're all focused on what happens at number 4 but also sitting there at number 2 is a team you're going to face twice a year in the houston texans who are in the afc south we're talking about you know, all the speculation you got all kinds of different stories these last 2 weeks trying to change the narrative One of the things that you mentioned, let's say Bryce Young does go at one. It seems like the Texans have put high priority on Bryce Young. Is there anything to dive into if Bryce Young goes at one that maybe the Texans don't go quarterback? And could it at all be, I've seen some other stuff, that C.J. Stroud's representation is the same that Deshaun Watson was. Is this all just reading into every little thing that we can, or is there some merit behind that?
1: I I think it's valid. I think it's very valid, actually. I, I, I said on the podcast probably about a week or two ago, that if Bryce Young is the first quarterback taken to the Carolina Panthers, I actually don't think it's gonna be CJ Stroud, number two, to the Houston Texans. I I would honestly buy it being Anthony Richardson or Will Levis or one of the, you know, the premier defensive players. You know, obviously with Jalen Carter's fall right now, he's probably not gonna be in the conversation, but it could be Will Anderson at number two. It really could. So if I was a betting man, which I'm not really, <laughs> but if I was a betting man, I would actually bet on it not being CJ Stroud number 2 overall. I think that you're going to get into a situation where there's a little bit of a bidding war with that third selection with the with the Cardinals cuz I think that CJ Stroud is potentially going to be there and a team that feels like they're close, right? Like a team that you know might be a solid team but just needs a bump to be a, a potential to, you know, contend for a division championship potentially, right? Like let's move up to number 3 to get the high floor caliber quarterback. So As we sit right now, if Bryce Young is the first overall pick, I would actually bet against it. I I don't think that CJ is going to be the second overall pick. I don't like to read into, like, you know, the the brass wasn't there during the pro day, but they weren't there during the pro day. You're hearing a lot of different talk, and I just, I, I buy some of it. I don't buy all of it. But ultimately I I just had this feeling that maybe CJ just isn't their guy at number two. Like I am buying into that a little bit.
2: Now we've talked about these four quarterbacks with Levis and Richardson kinda being the wild cards. You got a lot of ceiling for both of them. You aren't really sure where that ceiling and floor is. Levis seems to be a little bit more ready right now, but Richardson has all this potential. The fifth quarterback on that board is probably Hendon Hooker. Probably would have, you know, been a little higher on that board had it not been for that ACL. When you look at the Colts at number 4 and let's say it is Levis and Richardson are the quarterbacks available. How close is Hendon Hooker and and where would you slot him had it be, you know, if he was healthy?
1: Yeah, I mean, Hendon for me is I think that, you know, there's going to be some people and I know that there was like one ESPN mock draft, for instance, that had him going like fifth overall, right? Like, I think that's a little bit unrealistic. I think what Hendon Hooker did was he, over the last two years, has really shown that he has that developmental potential and he has the ability in the right system to be a very good quarterback. And there's going to be some talk about, you know, you're going to talk about, you know, the Josh Heupel offense and how much does it translate and it's a reasonable conversation to have, right? right. Because that, that often isn't really, you know, it's, it's, it's in the NFL, but it's not at a high level. You're going to see it all the time on the NFL level. So I think that for me, and Hooker hookers just kind of solidified that he is that day two quarterback that you want this year. And I, I, I know that some people are going to hyper-focus on the age, right? He's going to be 26 as a rookie. He's got the ACL tear that you kind of already mentioned, but I think ultimately he's going to end up being a late first to early second round pick. I think that's always what he was going to be in this draft, even if he was healthy, just because I think that there are legitimate question marks. You know, like you're a rookie quarterback, you're going to be 26 years old. There is like a developmental window that it, it's going to have to be very quickly for a guy like Hendon Hooker. But I think ultimately, as long as your team is comfortable with what you have around him and you have a good football team and you can be able to kind of ease him along slowly, obviously, at the beginning of the year coming back from the ACL. I think Hendon Hooker is starting traits. Like, I mean, like I don't think he's like. I, I mean, I would take Anthony Richardson all day over him, right? But if if I was in the late first round, for instance, and I know some people are going to be like, this is crazy, but if Hendon Hooker and Will Levis are both staring me in the face, I think I would take Hendon Hooker in the same spot. I really do, just because I they're about the same age. You know, he's one year older than Will Levis, but I think that the things in Will's game that worry me, I'm not sure are, like easily fixable things. The things in Hendon Hooker's is like. You know, maybe the ceiling isn't quite as high as a Will Levis, but like the floor is substantially higher for me, right? So mm-hmm. I think for me, I actually prefer him a little bit over Will Levis, but I would take Anthony Richardson just because I think that the the upside is just so immense. Like that kid, if you get everything around him right, I think he could be a superstar in the NFL.
0: I want to stay right there with Richardson, and and I'm and and Ryan, I'm probably oversimplifying this, and you certainly cover this more in depth than than Casey and I do, but for me just the perception on Anthony Richardson is he's gone from this intriguing athletic quarterback on a mediocre Florida team last year to all of a sudden a, a once-in-a-generation prospect in three yeah. months without playing a football game <laughs> uh, yeah. that, that's a little bit weird to me Ryan is is that simplifying it too much and have you ever seen a player change the perception around him so quickly before the draft?
1: Man, it's just one of those situations. I feel like we always do this to quarterbacks, right? It's like the toolsy kid is always going to be pushed up the board, but usually it's the it's the toolsy kid that you're just kind of like, you know, he's been in the spotlight for a long time, right? Like it's the Jake Lockers of the world, for instance. You know, you see them come out, you're like, you've known Jake Locker. You know, he was a three-year starter watching. You know what he is, but like, yeah, but he's still really big, He's athletic, he's strong, strong arm. You know all the all the you know the niche things that you kind of talk about with quarterback evaluation. But Anthony Richardson is just kind of a different animal for me, Matt, because it's like you don't know, you have no idea what he is right now, and I have no idea what he is. Nobody does. I mean, the kid is literally one of the best athletes we've ever seen at the quarterback position. I mean, six four, two hundred forty plus pounds, ran four four three, forty inch vert. He's got a cannon for an arm, right? Like he's got every tool that you look at. But the sample size, right. is Worrisome, you know. Like that, that's why. That's why time. I'm
0: shocked. So many analysts out there have him a surefire top five pick because of all of the unknowns. Right. Is my point?
1: Yeah. No. No. It, it, it's a great point. It really is because if you look at like the if you look at the arc of guys that have started one year or less in the college level. You're talking about a really bad list. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like the Mark Sanchez of the world, right? Like, you don't see quarterbacks come out of that situation other than, like, Cam Newton coming out of Auburn. But I just think, for me, like, it's easy to get excited about Anthony Richardson because you just haven't seen a guy like him before, you know? Like, he's a little bit different. So, in that regard, I would bet on him. But, like, it's one of those situations where, like, it's easy for me to say, right? Like, my job's not on the line (laughs) if he doesn't pan out. Right, right. But I am... so excited about what he could be man like I look at him and I'm just like that kid could be as good as he'd want him to be or he could be as bad as what you put around him like there's no in-between with a guy like Anthony Richardson which is why it's really exciting but it's also really worrisome like I I wouldn't feel great I would be sitting up at night after making that and being like man I
0: gotta make this work right
1: Yeah, exactly. I just put my reputation on the line to take a bet. (laughs) So, either it's going to work or I'm going to get fired in two years. Like, there's no in-between on it.
0: Ryan, let's let's center in on the Colts. This is a complete hypothetical, so just play along with us if you can. Uh, I apologize, but that's kind of where we're at right now in this (laughs) pre-draft phase, you know, a couple weeks before the draft. So, what is most likely to happen with the Colts in your estimation? I'll give you a couple of instances. They could sit at four, draft best player available, non-quarterback, They could sit at four and draft best quarterback available to them or trade up to number three with Arizona and draft a quarterback. Which of those three scenarios do you think ultimately plays out for the Colts?
1: I think that the best option would be to trade up to three. I really do because, I mean, you look at it, you're only moving up one spot. It's not going to be as big a heist as far as draft capital as some people. It's just going to be so tough. I mean, ultimately, like predictive hat on, right? Predictive is – that they're going to have to stick at four and take whoever they deem is the best player available at that point. Like I think that's ultimately what's going to happen because, unfortunately, fortunately, and unfortunately for them, is that the fortunate part that is, if you want to get up to number three, you don't have to give up a ton, right? Like you don't have to give up a, a crazy amount to move up one spot. But the unfortunate is that if I'm the Arizona Cardinals and I have the Colts on, you know, offer me a deal, but then also I have the, like let's say, the Las Vegas Raiders or like Atlanta Falcons switch, you know, switched their their ideology on Desmond Ritter and they want to trade up, then I'm going to take the I'm going to take one of those two teams, right? Because I'm going to get a lot more in return. So I think the Colts are going to be interested to trade up to number three. I just ultimately don't think it's going to happen because I do think there's going to be a couple other teams, the Tennessee Titans being another one, that are going to try to get up to that third spot because they understand how important that spot is, right? Because they understand that after number three, you have a Colts team that needs a quarterback and you have in that back end of the top ten, a couple teams that could be in the quarterback conversation as well. So ultimately, I think the Colts are going to try against number three, but I think they're going to kind of get stuck a little bit just because there's going to be some other teams that are going to be able to offer a little bit more than what they can just to kind of get up one spot.
2: Now, sticking with the Colts' perspective here, let's say at four they take a quarterback, and they have a handful of other – I mean, you don't you don't get in the top five with having other holes on your roster. So the Colts have a handful of spots they can definitely target with that 35th pick in the second round. One of those I think is definitely going to – they're going to take a hard look at corner. How deep is this cornerback group, and what is the value you can get there in the top of the second round at corner?
1: Oh, I mean, it's massive. That, that's one of – if you ask me what are some of the deeper classes this year – Uh, Positionally, I would say corner is right near the top, man. Like that, this is one of those situations where there's going to be a couple kids that are going to be pushed up. I think a little bit too high for my liking, but I mean, you're talking about the Christian Gonzalez, Joey Porter Jr., Devon Witherspoon. Like, there's going to be a nice little run I think early on in this class, and then you're going to get to that spot where like a Keely Ringo from Georgia, for instance, he might be there at 35. He's had a not great season, but there is a lot of hope there, right? Because you look at him, you're like, you know. I think from a style perspective, there's a lot of Xavier Rhodes to his game where I look like and I'm just like that big body, press man, corner, length for days, not a finished product, but at 35, sign me up, right? And, you know, so I think there's going to be guys like that. I think that there's going to be a lot of value in this class for sure. It's just, you know, it's about who's going to fall who in that, in that pecking order, right? And, you know, you're going to have guys like, Clark Phillips, for instance, out of Utah, who I think is another guy that could fall to there. But I know for the Colts, it's like you already have Kenny Moore, who's kind of more of that inside guy playing mm-hmm. the nickel. I don't know if Clark fits the best, but guys like Keely Ringo in some of these taller corners, maybe Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State because he's only 166 pounds, like maybe he falls through as well. So, you know, the long, drawn-out answer to your question is it's a very deep cornerback class, and I think they have an opportunity to find a starter there Early on at pick number thirty five.
2: Now one other one other area that the Colts address, they addressed left left tackle last year with Bernard Ryman in the third round. Definitely not a finished product. There's a lot of upside. He showed some promise last year, but I don't know if you definitely can write him in in pencil right now, but you definitely have Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, and Braden Smith. So you're looking at offensive line depth there in day two, day three. Are there any steals you can find there that maybe not day one can be a starter, but definitely midway through their rookie year can can step in and really help a team?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of values, honestly. I mean, there's one guy that I've been kind of beaten on, You know, being on the table a little bit for the last few months, I love Ricky Stromberg out of Arkansas. I think that he, for me, is a guy that's not going to be selected as a center until probably the third or fourth round. But I think he's a starter by year two in, in the right situation. I really do. Like I know that you know, there's been a lot of talk about Ryan Kelly in your world as far as like the long term for him. But I really think a guy like a Ricky Stromberg is a perfect solution potentially in the third or fourth round because I think he doesn't have to start early on. But he's also a guy at, you know, 6'4", 310, 315 pounds He could also play guard if he's, if that's a spot that you need him to play. So he's a guy that I think definitely could be in a situation where you look at and say, you know, that's a guy that I'm going to bet on. A similar guy, kind of more of an interior player, is Brayden Daniels out of Utah. He's more of a 6'4", 300-pound offensive tackle who played left tackle at Utah. But, man, thirty four 33-plus-inch arms, probably more of an interior player just because he's incredibly light, but you look at the athleticism he has, man. He is a really talented mover for a scheme that is going to utilize a lot of movements, like inside, outside zone type. I really like Brain Daniels a ton. So there's there's plenty of guys, man, that you look at and you say, that's a developmental starter in a year or two. Guys that have a lot of athletic traits. I mean, it really is a, it really is a toolsy group. It's just more about, you know, just – kind of maturing properly and not, not pushing them into the limelight too quickly because I think they have a lot of developmental potential guys like that.
0: Hey, Ryan, last one from me. You know, you're reading yeah. about how some of these teams don't have many first round grades on wide receivers going into the draft. There may not be this yeah. run on wideouts in the first round like we've seen in years past. Do you see it the same way? And, and who are your receivers that are going to be able to fight through that stereotype on round one of the draft?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, you know, I don't like to be the negative person, but like, I, I, I've i been kind of talking about that for a few months, man. Like, it's just not a not the wide receiver class that it's been over the last few years. I mean, you've seen a couple historically deep classes and I think that people can hyper-focus on that a little bit and they could just say, like, you know, maybe it's just a good class and you've been you know, circulated with really good classes kind of back and forth so it makes it look worse. Mm-hmm. But I just, ah, man, it, it's a struggle for me a little bit. Like, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is about as solid as you're going to get. You know, he's a Keenan Allen type of slot receiver for me, you know, he's a guy that I don't think is the most dynamic athlete of all time, but he just understands the nuances of the game, how to attack zones, attack blind spots. Like he's one of those Ohio state receivers. He's been incredibly well coached. So I can get on board with a guy like Jackson Smith, Quentin Johnson out of TCU. I have very mixed feelings on, you know, like I I love Keyshawn Boutte out of LSU in in the preseason, but he just had a season. Uh, catastrophic season. I mean, there's no other word for it, man. Like, it was just really bad. But I think that you can still find value in this class. There's a lot of, you know, day two players like Joshua Downs, early day two guys out of North Carolina. Zay Flowers out of Boston College. He might be a late day one, early day two type of player. A lot of small receivers this year, I I would say. You know, there's a lot of slot types, a lot of guys that can really do things in space. I think you're just missing – those true outside alphas this year, you know, like Quentin Johnson, I think is your best bet to be that guy. But even him, I look at him and I just say like, man, there's just, there's so parts to his game that just worry me a ton. You know, he's a big body receiver that I think plays the small game really well, but I don't think he plays the big man game much, which is just kind of an odd kind of, I guess, pairing of skill sets. But I think guys like Joshua Downs, Zay Flowers, Tyler Scott from Cincinnati, like there's a lot of smaller receivers in this class that I look at and say, that guy can be a dynamic weapon in the right role. He just might not be a three-level threat like some like we've had in the past couple of drafts.
0: Mm-hmm. That's Ryan Roberts, Sports Illustrated, RiseInDraft.com. Follow him on Twitter, at RiseInDraft. That's R-I-S-E-N, the letter N, and then the word draft following that. Ryan, before we let you go, uh, what are you writing about soon leading into draft coverage and then draft weekend? What are you going to be doing? What kind of content will you be uh, putting out there?
1: Yeah, I mean so you know the the um I'm trying to finish up a, a draft guide right now. So if you follow me at Rise and Draft on Twitter, I'm going to try to put one out within the next week or two. You know just depending on, you know, getting a little a few write-ups kind of caught up in in mm-hmm. you know the Twitter space and figure all that stuff out, but draft weekend um on the Believe Podcast Network, we will be doing some live stuff, some live reaction videos, all that great stuff. So anybody that follows, you know, Believe Podcast, make sure you check out that uh, check out that space cuz we'll be having a lot of content, instant reactions. We have a lot of great hosts on that on that podcast platform. Some former uh, players for each of those teams that'll kind of be giving their instant analysis too. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the plan right now. Draft weekend is we're going to give you guys as much instant analysis as possible and just kind of enjoy the ride, man. It's it's been a long it's been a long haul, and I'm excited to yeah. finally get here.
0: Yep, no doubt about it. Ryan, thanks so much for the time. It's good to talk to you. Good to meet you. Good to get the insight from you. Best of luck with all the coverage, and I uh, hope we can do it again soon.
1: Absolutely, man. Thank you so much.